Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here, another episode of ATDC Radio, and I am so looking forward to this one. I got with me today Greg Coonley with Wasiga. Welcome. Thanks. I know I screwed that up, right? How do you say the name? No, that's good. Uh, Wasiga. It was close enough. <laughs> so uh, talk about Wasiga. How are you serving folks? Uh, well, basically, we're a life safety mass notification company. Um, we're currently making a range of uh, IP communications equipment. Our beachhead market is in the K-12 through space. So it's for um, schools? You sell to schools? Initially, yeah. We do sell to other companies as well. There's some nice bleed over into um, other business areas. And then uh, how'd you get into this? Like, um, tell me a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, I went to Georgia Tech. I'm an electrical engineer. Graduated in 1990. Um, just a few years ago. Just a few years ago, yep. Right. <laughs> and then so you, you went the normal route, had a, got a job, or did you get into startups right away? No, I, I went and mm -hmm. I got a job. Yeah. So, so we worked for uh, Motorola right out of school. Uh huh. And then you spent a lot of time there, or? Uh, so about five years, uh, we designed uh, pagers. I designed manufacturing lines. Uh, Motorola would put uh, manufacturing lines throughout the U.S. And I was spent uh, two or three weeks in Ireland, which was a lot of fun. Oh, we cool. put a plant there. And then uh, at one point, did you kind of say, you know what, I've got an idea for a startup or get involved with startups? Um, so, uh, yeah, let me um, take a little step back. I'll sort of how I got involved with startups. All right. So basically um, – when I was at Motorola, I uh, I like fast cars, so um, I bought this uh, older Corvette, and my wife didn't want me to put the kind of money into it that I was starting to put into it, so I decided to, uh, how yeah, can I write- You a new wife? No, no. I had the same wife. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, well, how can I make a little bit of money to put it into the Corvette without coming out of the, the, right, the household paycheck? Thing yeah. <laughs> so there was this kind of a uh, new processor family coming out. And so I developed an operating system for that new family. Just and on the side hustle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> evenings, I just sort of, you know, got up into the... How, the did, how did you know how to do that? Um, so working at Motorola, the types of processors, we developed, uh, you know, different algorithms. And so there was, the market was, before there used to be DSPs and there used to be processors. And it was a lot of extra money. And so what you could see in the market, it was going to become a single processor that could do both. Mm -hmm. um, but people who developed on the standard processor didn't want to write code on the, right, the DSP. Yeah. They need an operating system. So I developed one, and I started porting it to a couple of families, <coughs> um, started selling it for my Corvette, and it became bigger than – I still haven't touched my Corvette. This was in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought the, Cor 90, the Corvette in 97. I haven't really touched it much. Um, but when I started my first company, um, it was just growing so fast. Uh, the company was DSPOS, Operating Systems for DSPs. And then um, we had, we bought another company, so we had networking stacks, and we created other voice. So then you like quit your job, and then you were yeah. all in on this? Yeah, I was all in on that. So uh, what was that like when you were uh, terrifying? Was it? <laughs> yeah. How'd your wife do with that decision? Um, she, we were young enough that she handled it well. Yeah, she, uh, she know I'd always always been talking about wanting to do my own right. company, so it kind of runs in the family. So that was just kind of a hobby or like a side hustle that just turned into got bigger and bigger. So it exceeded your expectations. Yeah. Yep. 
So it uh, it grew and it eventually turned into a. I admit I didn't do the upfront planning that I probably should have done with a startup. <laughs> right. So, but it grew. You know, it's still alive and kicking today, but it's a, a lifestyle company. So the total market is is very small. Now, are you still involved, or did you sell it? No, I'm still involved. It's still running. Um, so it's uh, so what we did is with that company Unicoi, we developed. You had know, asked me earlier about audio stuff, so we had developed. Uh, voice over IP and video over IP solutions. And we were s- trying to sell it into the intercom space and to the IP speaker space. Mm-hmm. And the companies that are in the space are very old, very slow to adopt. Um, so we, uh, we got tired of, of uh, trying to sell to them because their technology was so old. We decided, well, we should just compete against them. So we uh, started a new company and, uh, tried to compete with uh, intercoms, access controls against these companies that wouldn't license uh, our technology. Right. And so that was where Wasiga came from. And then so now you're going after their same customers? Yeah. And then how's that come, coming along? Um, well, we're, we're, uh, ki- we're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> so people were hungry for your solution? Yeah. So um, let's see. Um Basically, when we first got into the space, we had a couple of opportunities, and then people started asking us for speakers in the classroom. So we took a step back, and we let's look at the space. And it turns out it's very uh, siloed, very vertical space. There's a lot of companies that make audio equipment for the classroom. Um, and there's also a need with all of the, the safety issues that's been going on um, with school shootings to add additional la- layers of safety. So we – designed a family of products that helped address all of that. So we call it breaking down silos. So like if you look in the standard classroom, um, the teacher will wear a mic oftentimes. And so they'll have um, speakers in the classroom right. so that so sound reinforcement, uh, those are standalone products. And then you've got the, the old analog PA on the Where wall. Like the principal comes and gives announcements or things like that. Right. And that's a difference. So that's a totally different than the one the teacher uses. Totally different. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> and, seems uh, kind of inefficient. Well, those are mm-hmm. old analog ones, the same right. ones that when, when you and I went to school. Um, that so hasn't changed. It, for the most part, probably really? 80% of schools still use old analog equipment. Were you surprised when you were doing your research that it was that high? Yeah. Yeah. It's like they all, they just haven't been the money. So now with all the safety issues, uh, money is pouring into schools. Mm-hmm. So once you switch to IP, then you can have a, a nice two way communications, but you can drop panic buttons in. Um, you can do. Cause once it's digital, now you can do a lot of, you things. can do all kinds. So now it's part of your integrated platform. Right. And so now they work together rather than siloed. Right. And uh, so the other thing that we did is it turned out that one of the big expenses for wiring a classroom is just dropping an Ethernet cable into the classroom. Into to, each classroom? Into, well, yeah, you have to drop. Uh, Every classroom has its own Ethernet line. Right. But the school itself is kind of wired, though, right? It's, kind of, it's kind of wired, but you still – so for life safety, you want uh, – we do power over Ethernet. It's called PoE. And so if there, the electricity is out in the building, your emergency announcements can still run. Right, so if it was Wi-Fi, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, it would just stop working. So, so then you need Wi-Fi as that's a, a a solution, but you need this kind of backup of an Ethernet line. No, we don't even use Wi-Fi. Everything is uh, everything is wired. Yeah, it's wired, and the power is over wired as well. Uh-huh. And then so, that'll work even with the power out. Right. So if you have a UPS in the IT closet, you know, uninterruptible power supply. Right. Then that'll keep everything running. 
Um, so what we did is we patented a wiring solution that lets us drive multiple classrooms with a single uh, PoE drop. Oh, wow. So that must save them a lot of money. It does. It saves about 100 bucks per classroom. Mm-hmm. So, And then the other problem you've got is once you switch to IP, um, whoever's doing your phone system, say it's Cisco or Avaya, um, if you have a button that you want to hit to call out, your teacher wants to call out to the front office, um, Cisco hits you up with a license, 150 bucks a classroom, 200 bucks a classroom. So we made another piece of equipment that we register our equipment with that, and we sort of trunk it into Cisco. So it saves up, it saves all those licenses. So you don't have to do that. So you don't have to do that either. Right. So the, now you're competing with them too. No, we we work with them. I mean, they, we take a little bit of money out of their pocket. But the problem was it was so expensive to convert a classroom that the conversions weren't happening. Right. So, so the, they weren't really getting the money anyhow. Because uh, it was too expensive. Because it was too expensive. I mean, how many classrooms are in a school typically? Uh, typically 75. Right. So that's way too expensive. Yeah. So today we've actually cut the classroom conversion cost by 50% over all of our competitors. Oops. That was quick hands. Good job. So <laughs> with my hands sometimes, knocked it off. So um, you're helping them save money by implementing your system. Yeah, yeah. So and then I, that must be an easy conversation to have. It is. When it's you like, start doing the math of this. Right. Or a lot of the schools will come to us and they haven't, they, they've always thought it was too expensive. So then you have to introduce them to, well, here's what it really costs you. And so there is a bit of education that goes as well. So is most of your business on brand new schools or are you kind of retrofitting existing? Probably 75% uh, retrofit and the rest are new schools. Mm-hmm. So what you'll end up doing is you'll get a, a district to convert and a district is a mix of old schools and some new ones. Right. So now what was your first district? Where did you test this out? Of? Um, we had a couple of real small ones, but there's a district in Tampa. I think it's Pinellas School District. Mm-hmm. So that was our, our first uh first initial deployments. So how'd you get them? Um, we basically, a um, couple of people were asking for uh, an IP solution and the Pinellas didn't have the cash to, to convert and we knew of a way we could probably drive the cost down. Affordably, right? Yeah. So we they were willing to experiment with us. And, uh, and you were happy to do it. And we were happy to do it. Now, um, how do you get the word out to the school system that this even exists? So a couple of ways. We um, Obviously, we don't have a lot of money, so we, uh, we're experimenting with our marketing approach. So we did all the standard uh, SEO. Um, like you know, content where you're creating thought leadership around this? Yeah. Uh, we did uh, mailers. We did cold calling. Uh, but we basically just ended up partnering with a couple of people, and then we hire um, – We our business model is a little bit different. So instead of going through distribution, we actually – train regional installers. They're the guys who bid on it. Mm-hmm. And so once you have them trained, then they're an extension of your sales force. So they're out there beating the streets in a certain region. Right, because this is something else for them. They're already selling something, so this is something else they can sell. Right, and if they don't sell ours, they sell someone else's. And if someone is selling ours, then they don't get the business because our stuff <clears> is, <throat> is, uh, is less expensive. Uh-huh. So now, um, how'd you get in the loop here at ATDC? Um. Well, with Unicoi, my previous company, uh, we did a project with uh, Panasonic, and uh, we made sort of an in-car entertainment system. And the guy we worked with was John Avery. Oh, <laughs> so, that's good so, to, person to know. Yeah, and so he uh, he and I we had uh, we did this in-car entertainment system, and uh, so he was part of that company. Yeah, he was part of Panasonic before uh, at uh, before ATDC. Yeah, 
And then so um, he he said, hey, I'm now running ATDC. Why don't you come and check it out? No, no, he wasn't like that. He, um, I saw he got the job and, I, and he left Panasonic and I said, hey, congrats. And, you know, I was – I forget exactly what I said, but I told him something like, you know, um, be nice with my new company if I can have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, education for like lack resources, of yeah. right, help. And he said, well, you should apply and see if uh, you have the credentials. So he didn't like – you know, didn't, he didn't hard sell you. No, well, there was no corners ever. I had to, I had to pitch it and get them to, get in, to no. accept. So now, for you, um, at what level did you get in? At the, I'm a, we're an educate at the educate level, and then uh, so are you. You're now making money. Do you have uh, funding? Like what? Would we're yet now? So we're bootstrapping. Uh, we're growing. We're growing really fast. So we're we we did a triple, and then we're doubling every year. Uh-huh. Um, and so. We've still got business next year to double as well. Um, so that's um, so we're trying to fund uh, more of a, a cloud-based solution. That's really why we're here is I can spell SaaS, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're designing uh, – I guess we're getting into some of the new stuff, but we're designing a, um, a gunshot detection system that sort of integrate into the cloud. Oh, because once the, there's a speaker and microphones, then now yeah. it does lots of things. You can do more things. Right. And uh, so we're going to eventually roll out a SaaS model with our gunshot detection platform. Oh wow! So, um, and then what, what will that do? Will that like call the authorities? Like what what happens? Whatever the school district wants. So it, you may have a local resource on site. It calls them to validate, um, or it, it's uh, there's a lot of ways it can be set up. Mm-hmm. So, and then, uh, so uh, how are you coming up with these ideas? Like, are you talking a lot to the schools? Like, what do they need? What are their concerns? Or are you kind of ahead of them in some ways? Um, to a certain extent, but you, you can just get a feel for what what the uh, what the market needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you look at like there's a couple of companies that offer gunshot detection day, but it's crazy expensive, and the schools can't afford it. It's just mm-hmm. like the old IP equipment. Um, people want it, but they can't afford it. So now that's been kind of historically where you've been, right? You find these needs where it's super expensive and maybe there's old technology behind it that's causing it to be super expensive. And then you're coming in and trying to find a more digital, more affordable solution. Yeah. How can we disrupt the market? Uh So a lot of the guys have been around for a while and they're slow to react. It it becomes very obvious. Obvious to you, not to them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, they have a certain customer base and they have a certain way of doing things. So it's harder for a larger entrenched company to switch. Because they they're so there's so much legacy cost and status quo that they can't kind of pivot and say okay blow up the old model let's do something new yeah that's risky for right. them right or they'll be out of business that's risky too there's plenty of oh. older companies with old technology that aren't around anymore oh yeah yeah there's a lot of those so that's our goal put them all out of business <laughs> <laughs> so now what do you need more of how can we help you um. That's a good question. Really, right now, what we're doing is uh, we're we're in the middle of doing. Uh, so we wrapped up ATDC's customer discovery, mm-hmm. which was unbelievably valuable. So you learned a lot from that. Oh yeah, yeah. What was something that surprised you when you went through that? Um, let me paint. I'll paint a picture. Mentally. Okay. Go ahead. So, like, you know how you're you see a uh, a mountain range and you see a, a large peak in the distance, but you see different ranges around in front of that. Right. And uh, if you look at those peaks as potential. Uh, maximum sales amount. Um, we were sort of focusing on a, you know, it's a math term. You have local maximas and a global maxima, and the global maxima is your 
peak total sales. So we were a little bit off-centered, focusing at some of the lesser peaks. And the customer discovery found us opportunities that people would have paid for that we weren't going to charge. Um, and so it allowed us to fine-tune our uh, our future cloud-based product. So now how did you go about the customer discovery? Like were you on calls, like like you were calling the schools or the school systems? Yeah, we were calling schools, school systems. Uh, some of our integrators, we would call them as well. Because you want to find whatever problem that they're having and how can you solve that problem? And are they willing to pay money to solve that problem? But like what's what's a typical conversation? You call up one of the school uh, leaders and you start asking them? Like are you polling them? Like what's the – how do you even make that call? So part of the customer discovery class, uh, they teach you how to do the mom test. So you have to ask questions that are not leading. It's very difficult to do because <laughs> otherwise you're like, hey, look at this. Do you like this? Right. We're going to say, yeah, I'll buy it. How much do you like this? A yeah. little or a lot? <laughs> and that's just worthless information. Right. So uh, you you want to be able to sort ask of, it in a kind of an objective manner right. to get their real feelings, right? Like you don't really they don't know that they're giving you that information, right? So how do you set up the call? Like the, it's just the, you're just asking them to answer some questions. Like how do you what's the so what you say framing? Is we're, we're doing a little bit of research on the future of a certain space, and we just like to know what's your day to day activity, what kind of problems do you run into with relation to blah, whatever right. the blah is you're trying to find that day. And then you find people are open to having that conversation? Yeah, they love to talk about themselves. Uh, really? <laughs> so that wasn't the hard part? Is no, it was it, hardest part was trying to ask the right questions. You know, really? So, not so getting them. to them was doable. It's just getting information from them that's usable is the hard part. Yeah, and that was on us to ask the right questions. <laughs> right, so you had their time, so it was just a matter. And then would, you ask, would the call be five minutes or an hour? An or? hour. Oh, an hour. Yeah. So Some you, of them we shrunk it down to about 20, 30 minutes. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you didn't want to go too quick to the point. Because right. Then, you got to kind of meander. Yeah. And then um, once you – was there some call that you had and you're like, wow, that's a great idea. Well, write that down. Well, we had a lot of those. But uh, the customer discovery class, they cautioned you not to jump to conclusions from one guy saying something. Really? So that's you, hard. Yeah, that's hard. Because <laughs> when you see someone so excited right, for something. You're like, oh, my God, we're on to something here. Yeah. And then you still had to make 10 more calls to validate that. Yeah. yeah. And so you would ask a bunch of calls for a certain part of your business model, and then you'd fine-tune that. Then you'd ask for another part, and you tried to wrap it all up. So it's a you know 10- or 12-week process. of you, know, you try to do 10 calls every week. Now, what's the, did you have to give them something back in exchange for them spending an hour with you? Like, did you give them a report or some research or anything, or they just did it because they wanted to help? They just they wanted to help. Really? Because uh, we were in the same space. It's it's interesting. People don't, you know, people who are in the trenches fighting whatever fight they're fighting every day, uh, most people don't ask them how their day's going. Mm-hmm. So you ask them, well, what do you do? What's your, what do you find painful? And uh, yeah, they, once they get going, you know, they're glad to share that. So um, that sounds like just that exercise itself was a lot of value just for being part of ATDC to learn how to do that properly. Right. Yeah. That's what ATDC coached you on. Uh-huh. on how to do that correctly. So any advice for startups that haven't uh, considered ATDC? Even if you don't do ATDC, uh, the whole customer discovery, um, it's just invaluable. Mm-hmm. You know, so you think that's one of the kind of things that have helped the most to get you to where you are right now? Yeah, so just to be clear, I was already working on the hardware side of it. Right. So now I'm trying to add the cloud-based component. Right. Um, so it's helped me. 
basically it probably shortcutted two years of mistakes. Really? So it's just, you know, areas that we could have easily gone down a certain path that would have generated sales and would have led you to falsely believe you were on the right track. Right. And then uh, you've been in a variety of startups or several, and then some have been successful, some have not been. Right. So you got scar tissue too that helps oh, yeah. you. Yeah. Well, the, the worst one is, you know, I, we had spent, I don't know, 10, 10 12 years on Unicoin, my previous embedded uh, software company. And uh, it just sort of hit a flat spot. No matter how hard you worked, it just couldn't grow. So you would do new stuff. The old stuff would fall off. But And you were in the same spot. Same spot. So the key word there is TAM, total available market. And uh, even though we have cutting-edge technology, there's very few people that, uh, you know, are there to spend the money. Mm-hmm. And that was a lesson that – did that help you in this venture? Yeah, <laughs> very much so. So now, um, how do you see the future? Like you're pretty bullish on it's more and more schools kind of taking advantage of this uh, oh, technology. Uh, yeah, every school that uh, if we can get in front of them and pitch it. Um, so we're sort of in a multi-phase approach. The first phase was to make the products, um, the disruptive products, and then uh, sort of build our sales. Mm-hmm. And then once the sales got to a certain point, we're now leveraging that revenue to ex- – we're in the middle of phase two, which is sort of expanding. We, we call them uh, – channel managers and they're sales guys that are in a certain region. And so this year we're probably going to hire six or eight sales guys. And then are you starting in the South and then expanding or you're going all over? Um, It's weird. We haven't sold squat in in Georgia. (laughs) Everything has been all through the U S we did do AIS uh, um, in Buckhead, the private school, right? But that's our only school we've done in the state of Georgia. Now, do you go to trade shows or anything like that? Or are you just working through these channels? We, We did go to trade shows, um, but really the best bang for the buck, the way that really ramps sales is to go to the integrators that are big in each region. Mm-hmm. So we do lunch and learns, um, let them see the things. We'll show them um, here's the financial breakdown and how we can guarantee you win the business over if you bid other other companies' equipment. And then are there a lot of integrators around the country? Oh, yeah, thousands of them. Thousands. They so. all compete against each other, and yeah. their margins are slim. So you're looking for kind of exclusive relationships and regions? Uh, not you know, we'd like to have a couple of integrators per region. That mm-hmm. doesn't have to be uh, exclusive. And our channel managers that we're hiring, they work for us. They're going to be responsible for finding the right integrators. Right, because in you region. want to choose wisely. Right. right? <laughs> so now if somebody, if uh, an integrator or a school wants to learn more, what's the website? It's uh, wasega.com, W-A-H-S-E-G-A.com. Good stuff, Greg. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.